All right, so this is uh, instruments in the Redeemer's hands, and we're thinking about how it is that we help those around us. Uh, his subtitle is kind of People in Need of Change, Helping People in Need of Change. How is it that we who are sinful ourselves can help others who are struggling with sin? And uh, that's a really, really crucial thing to understand. Uh, sometimes we use the term counseling for this kind of thing, and it is counseling, but it's uh, it's really just being part of a Christian community. Uh, it, I think sometimes when we call it counseling, and, and there is a place for that, um, but sometimes we elevate it as if it's something that, you know, the average Christian shouldn't be doing. Um, but in many ways, it's just what it is to live with brothers and sisters in Christ, and we all need each other's help. So we'll dig into this. I think it will be beneficial to us. If you have a book, uh, I just want to familiarize you with it. Um, feel free to write in it. I'd encourage you to, in fact, um, and use it. If you go to the first few pages, it's like uh, VI, <laughs> Roman numeral six. Uh, you'll see something that says course outline. And so uh, that follows, that, that's our, our, our plan for the course. So we'll follow those 12 lessons. And uh, you sort of see that diagram, love, no, speak, do. Uh, we'll follow that pattern that will help us think through how we help people. Uh, if you... Find, you should have a section on, um, let's see, after the course outline, can I peek at your book, Jerry? Okay, then you should come to lesson one, and let me just walk you through the general structure. We'll usually begin the class by discussing the homework, uh, so hopefully you all had your homework done for tonight, and uh, are ready to share your answers. There was no homework, yeah, it was like... <laughs> Yeah, I took you all back to like fifth grade just then and that nervous pit in your stomach. Anyway, uh, but in future weeks, there will be homework, not heavy amounts of homework, but some homework for you to do just to uh, invest in the course. And so we'll review that. There'll be a brief introduction. Then you see uh, heading concepts and objectives. Uh, we'll hit that at the beginning. That sort of gives you the overview of the lesson. So the concepts are the big ideas you want to grasp, and then he uses the acronym CPR. C is the concepts, P is personal, how it's going to affect your life, and then R is related to others, how it's going to affect the way you have relationships. So that will kind of give us a, an overview for the, for the lesson. Uh, then the lesson content, and you actually have a lot of it there for you in the book. Uh, so you can track along that way. There'll be places to jot notes, underline, circle, those kinds of things. Then we return to that a big question and that CPR again at the end of the lesson, but this time with more detail. Hopefully, having gone through the material, it's clearer what the takeaways are. And then at the end of the lesson, you have that make it real section, uh, which that's the homework for the following week. So... Um, I suppose if we had time each week, we could you know, start into those, but more likely uh, the goal would be that you try to answer those questions on your own sometime through the week and then be prepared for the following lesson when we come back uh, the next week.
Okay, so that's a little overview of how the lesson content works um, and kind of how we're going to use the books as we go through it. And like I said, each week I'll try to have an individual printout. So if you'd like to just use that each week, you're welcome uh, to do that too. All right, let's dig into uh, the lesson for tonight. And it raises the question, do we really need help? Do we really need help? Um, this is one of the big pitfalls when it comes to helping others, is that we lose sight of the fact that we need help, right? So then we enter the room as, uh, well, we wear a few hats. You can probably figure out what they are. Sometimes we enter the room as judge, right? We look at someone else's life, and so we have our gavel and maybe white curly-haired wig on, uh, the black gown and all. We walk into the room and, you're guilty. You've done this wrong, and you deserve this kind of punishment, and so on and so forth. Uh, we walk in all self-righteous um, because we've lost a sense of our own need. Uh, other times, we are police officer, right? Rather than... Uh, curly white hair and gavel, we run in with uh, the taser and, uh, <laughs> and we, we tase the people. We just go ahead and punish them for whatever it is that they're doing. Uh, hopefully you've not literally tased anybody, but uh, we do this. We, give, we can go in both directions. Sometimes we, we get angry and we yell or we try to control. Other times we, we give silent treatment and we punish in that way. Um, but this is how we tend to default when it comes to helping others. And a lot of the problem is we don't realize that we ourselves are also in need of help. And I have found so many times, whatever it is that they're struggling with, especially if it really annoys me, is probably in my heart as well. And a lot of times the reason it annoys me so much is because I have self-justified the same kind of issue in my own heart. And so feeling very self-righteous, right, having talked myself into the fact that I'm okay, I am very much annoyed by what they're struggling with. And if we'll pause to remember that we're people in need of help, helping people in need of help, uh, a lot of times God can use that to open our eyes uh, to see just huge areas of blindness. Um, and the very thing I was annoyed at this person about happens to be in my heart in just a, a little different way, um, and the Lord can use that to help us see it. So this is where we start. Uh, do we really need help? Well, the answer is yes, and so we're going to uh, dig into that a little bit. So your concepts and objectives, that should be towards the, the top of your notes or in the book, there's that heading, Concepts and Objectives. Let's review these uh, real fast here as we work through this. First of all, the big concept of this chapter is our need for help is not the result of the fall, but the result of being human. It's not the result of the fall, but the result of being human. God made us to need help. So it's not like, it's, uh, like we've, we're failing at life if we need help. Um, actually, God made us with limits. He didn't make us omniscient. Uh, when Adam and Eve were created, God gave them instructions. He gave them information, things that they did not know, right? Uh, and so uh, even back to creation, we need, it's clear we needed help. Uh, making this personal, what we want to learn is that I need truth from outside of myself to make sense out of life, right? 
All the information I need to have an accurate view of everything is not just in here automatically. Now, we know this to be true, uh, right? We, we need information like the gospel, for instance. That would be a fine example. But we just we don't know all things. We need help. But sometimes we forget that. And we walk into a scenario thinking we're, we're omniscient. I have it all figured out. I know exactly what happened. You're wrong. I'm right. So on and so forth. So related to others... Uh, This means we need to learn how to be one of God's instruments of change in the lives of others. And this is not a word that he uses, but a word that hopefully you'll hear me use a lot. We are helpers. We're helpers. Um, And so part of this is learning to take off the judge's hat, taking off the police officer hat, and entering the scene as a helper. How can I help? Um, And that comes with a degree of humility that's willing to be helped as well, that um, I'm not the savior, uh, I'm not the punisher, I'm not any of those other words, I'm just here, I'm here to help, how can I help? Um, How would the Lord use me to help? Uh, So, yeah, as we think about these things, this kind of humility is, is really helpful. All right, let's get into the lesson a little bit. Uh, First, we talk about a firm foundation. And uh, really what becomes our firm foundation is that uh, God's Spirit helps us through the Word and through other people to see what we would otherwise be blind to. So the Word of God becomes our firm foundation. So here's your first little question, and you have space for this in your notes as well as in the book to jot down your answer. The question is this, if you were asked to write down a distinctly biblical definition of discipleship or personal ministry, what would you write? So take 30 seconds or so to jot down a few ideas. It doesn't have to be a perfectly formed sentence, but if you were to define discipleship or personal ministry, uh, what ideas would that include? How would you describe it? Uh, you can write it there. And again, this is just under the heading of a firm foundation. Hopefully you found that in the book and are tracking along. It's also a space available in your, in your notes too. All right, anybody want to share some ideas? What did you jot down? How would you, what concepts, what uh, definitions would you use to explain personal ministry or discipleship? Okay, having time to help people. Yeah. That's huge. Making that important. Yes, that's huge. Yeah, a hurried pace, a hurried lifestyle doesn't give time for people to share, talk. What else? I think one thing that I thought of in the Yes, so. yes, I like that. The Word of God is woven into the fabric of life. I like the way you said that. It's good. Good. What else? Yeah, Scott. The second half. Yes. Yeah. Teaching, uh, to, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. Yep. Excellent. Good. Yeah. Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2.2. Yes. Right. Passing along that, the, the body of teachings, doctrine is what we could call it. Yeah. Good. Good. Okay. Any other thoughts? Excellent. Yeah. Jay. Yeah. 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 If we really are dependent on the Word of God and the Spirit of God, 
Uh, I think prayer is a pretty important part of the <laughs> process, right? If we swoop into the room with our hero hat on, we might not be so uh, ready to bow before the Lord in prayer and ask for help. Um, but we've got the wrong hat on in, those case, in that case. If we remember we're helpers, then we know that God's the hero, God's the Savior. And so to bow before him just makes sense and to ask for his help. Good. All right, let's continue on here. So as we think about this firm foundation, here's the key concept in this section. The Bible teaches that personal transformation takes place as our hearts are changed and our minds are renewed by the Holy Spirit. And the Word of God is able to do this, right? It's used by the Spirit of God to cut to the heart, to reveal what's going on in there. And then we know that God's Spirit also uses the Word to renew our minds, to help us to think and believe truth as opposed to the lies of sin or just a false way of viewing the world. Uh, so let's look at a couple of passages here. Uh, did I get every, all your blanks up there? I think so. Yeah. First of all, notice how the Spirit uses the Word uh, in people's lives. So let's go to Isaiah chapter 55. Isaiah chapter 55. You can follow along. I'll read verses 10 through 13, Isaiah 55. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, And make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. And it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree, and it shall be to the Lord for a name, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. So, what do these verses affirm to us about the Word of God? Any ideas? Yeah. It's effective. Yes, yes, excellent. Uh, Hmm, I always thought of that word of something being close, but I mean, that could be true. His word, yeah, his word is always close to being accomplished, maybe something along those lines. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any other ideas? Yeah, I think that's probably enough said there. It's uh, just a fun picture, right? God sends his word out and it is effective. It uh, carries out its task. You know, uh, that idea of it not returning void. It's uh, not, you know, an arrow just kind of deflecting off the wall and falling to the ground. No, it hits the target every time and it's, it does its task. Um, and so a helpful reminder to us As helpers, it's important that we remember uh, the Word of God. And uh, this is a a shortfall of mine easily, right? You get talking with people 
And uh, just in conversation, you begin to think, ooh, I, I know what they need to hear. I know what I need to tell them next. You know, you just kind of get going talking to them out of your own life experience or, or whatever. You have a story to tell them. And uh, to, to be intentional to pause and say, you know what, a passage comes to mind. Let, let's just open and read it. It's sometimes easy to just skip right by that and uh, not let the Word of God be opened and spoken and come to bear in a situation. So that's one. He uses the Word of God uh, to accomplish His purposes. Next, we think about the Word of, excuse me, uh, God's people, the people of God. So let's go over to the book of Ephesians. And we'll go to chapter 4, verses 11 through 16. And what I want you to notice as I read is how crucial the people of God, he will mention pastors and teachers at the beginning, but you'll notice as we go through this, it's not actually about the pastors and teachers. It's about every part of the body doing its share. Okay, so just try to notice that as we go, how every believer has a role in, in building each other up. All right, verse 11, Ephesians 4, 11. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature, the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes the growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. That passage is really profound. The Word of God, yes, is crucial in ministry, and it even comes up here, speaking the truth. I don't think that's just being like honestly blunt with each other. I think it's referring to the Word of God. We're speaking the Word of God to one another. But God intends that every part of the body participate in the building up of the body of Christ, that we're all helping one another uh, to grow up in Christ by speaking the truth to one another. So the Word of God is crucial, and the people of God are important uh, to help us grow. That means we need to be people who are speaking truth, speaking the Word of God into the lives of others. We also need to be people who are quick to listen to the Word of God in our lives and uh, thinking through how we also need to grow, coming back to that idea of humility in this lesson. Next, we consider our need, and he looks at our need in three places, creation, the fall, and redemption. So first, let's look at our need as we see it in creation. And uh, so we're going to be in Genesis a little bit here. You can open your Bible there to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, I'll read verses 26 through 28. It says, Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every herb that yields, uh, which is on the face of the earth. Uh, Let me pause there. I started in verse 28. 
Let me go back to 26, excuse me. 26, then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. And then I already read verse 28, so we'll stop there. Sorry for reading them out of order. Uh, so this was an interesting point that he makes here is that uh, we needed help before the fall. I think sometimes I, I just tend, I don't know if it's my just perfectionistic nature or I just want to be, you know, the hero in every situation or what it is. But sometimes I think that if I don't know how to fix something or if I don't have the answer that I'm somehow a failure, um, but God created us with limits, right? We don't know everything. And even from the beginning, before the fall, He created us to need Him, to need information, to need His truth, to need instruction. Uh, that's part of who we've been from the beginning. It's part of how He created us. And so it's okay. It's not wrong to need help. So here's uh, the key truth for this one. Uh, to be human is to need help outside of oneself in order to understand and live life. We need God's truth. We need God's truth. And as we consider this, in those verses there, there are three things that sort of separated Adam and Eve from the rest of creation. Of course, they're created in the image of God. That one's pointed out. But there are a few things that are interesting. First, they were created by God to be revelation receivers. Um, so there's no other animal <laughs> among creation to whom God spoke and gave instructions. So God intended man to be able to receive instruction from God, receive revelation from God. Next, they were created to be interpreters, to take what God said, understand what it means, and begin to live it out. Right? So God gave instructions, and then they were to follow those instructions. To take what he said, understand its meaning, and live it out. That's what we mean by interpreting. So God said that they were to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. They could hear God, understand him, and take action. And then finally, they were created to be worshipers. Created to be worshipers. To have relationship in which they gave God glory. They ascribed praise and worship to Him. Now, there's a degree to which all of creation does that, speaks of the glory of God. Uh, but mankind especially, we were created to be worshipers. So these things will come up um, throughout the course, but helpful to point out at this point. Now, this idea of interpreting the facts is important because we don't realize we do this. We see an event or we hear some words and we all come at it with our own interpretation. And it's, it's crucial to understand this uh, because this comes up in the next scene that we will look at when Satan steps in and he offers a deceptive interpretation of the same information. Did God really say? He casts doubt, right? He views God's word through a different lens. And, uh, and interprets it differently. So, understanding that we are interpreters of information is really helpful because you can step back from an event, from some words, and say, okay, wait, what lens am I viewing this through? What lens are they viewing this through? Uh, let me give you an example. Uh, I'll give you two examples. So, one time 
I was meeting a friend at Culver's and so called him up and was like, hey, are we still on for lunch today? Is it going to work out? Great. See you at Culver's. Perfect. See you there. So I drove to Culver's and I sat at Culver's and waited and my friend did not show up. And so I began to think, what in the world, this liar? No, I didn't. Okay, I didn't, I didn't go right there. I thought, what could have happened? What could have happened, right? And so I thought, oh, you know what? There are other Culver's in the Des Moines area, not only in Grimes, but there's a Culver's. And so I called my friend up and I said, hey, are you at Culver's? He's like, yeah, where are you? I'm like, I'm at Culver's. And he's like, uh-oh. <laughs> sure enough, I had gone to the Grimes Culver's and he had gone to the Culver's. I think it was the one over on 86th. And so... Uh, we were at two separate Culver's, right? Same information, different interpretation of the facts. His mind went immediately to the Culver's closest to him. And so he went to that Culver's. My mind went immediately to the Culver's closest to me, right? Same facts, different interpretation. So the way, uh, sometimes it's helpful to step back from a scenario and think through how are they interpreting, yeah, how are they interpreting uh, this, this information, how, what lens am I viewing this through, and how might that be affecting the way we're seeing things? Uh, we'll skip my other example. You can ask me that story another time. It's a fun one. All right, so that leads us to the next point, our need as seen in the fall. Our need as seen in the fall. And here's where Satan enters the scene. So you can look at chapter 3. And ultimately, he takes the same information but begins to cast doubt on it. He offers a deceptive, a lie, um, as a possible interpretation. Chapter 3, verse 1, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which, God, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So he takes uh, the same general set of facts, but inserts a little bit of deceit, a lie, some twisting of the truth, and offers a different interpretation. No, 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 no. You'll just, you'll, you'll just be able, to, you'll be like God. You'll discern good and evil. And is, is, is this really God's instructions? He casts doubt on what God has said. So the key truth as we think about this is that in the noise of all the different uh, information that's out there, we need God's truth to give us clarity there are so many opinions, so many interpretations of the facts around us. So creation evolution is, a, is an easy one. Uh, two people can look at the stars in the galaxy and interpret entirely differently how they came to be there, right? Um, so in all the noise of all the different ideas and opinions and ways of seeing the world, uh, we need God's truth to bring clarity, right? Oh, that Eve had gone back to the word of God and taken God at his word and not listened to the interpretation of Satan. Um, but of course, this is the trouble we all face, isn't it? 
So we need the word of God to cut through the confusion. So here are a few principles we can draw from this. First of all, thoughts, talk, opinions, advice, and relationships are always agenda setting. They're always leading towards something or better explained, away from something. Uh, Even though we may be unaware of it, we daily tell one another what to desire, what to think, what to do. Um, This is just part of communication. It has a goal. It has an intended purpose. We speak in order to get what we want, right? Our words reveal what's in our hearts. And there are really two main paths for our words and our conversations and ideas. These things can lead us toward God and toward His truth and toward what is right or away from God. And to varying degrees. You know, sometimes we justify things that are just a little off, but it still sets a different trajectory, doesn't it? And so everything we say, all of this, um, is either moving us toward God or away from God. So he says advice is always moral. It's always leading towards something. As we give input, as we give advice, is this helping the person live in a way that's accordance with God's word, or is this steering them away from what is right? So in this world of much confusion, where there are thousands of voices speaking to us at the same time, each interpreting life and each competing for our hearts, we need scripture to cut through the confusion and make sense out of life for us. This is why the Word of God is so important and so helpful to us. So those are some key ideas there. We caught up before I moved to the next slide. If you have a book, you don't have any blanks. You, have to, you can underline if you want. But. Next, number four, our need as seen in redemption. Our need as seen in redemption. And the key concept here is that we all suffer from spiritual blindness. We are deceived by our own sin. This is why we needed a Savior. This is why when we enter the room to help people, we're not the Savior. Take the Savior hat off. Put your cape to the side. You're not the hero, right? This is a really beautiful truth. We come in as helpers. There's a different hero. We have a Redeemer. We have a Savior. And uh, I suffer from blindness just like the next person. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, Notice verses 12 and 13. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, while it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So, I believe this is written to believers. And the author of the book of Hebrews is warning believers that even as believers, we are blind to our sin. We can let a little bit of unbelief in, interpretation of the facts, different lenses, rather than lenses of faith. Lenses of unbelief, and this leads to a hardening of our hearts, a blindness to sin, and we begin to turn away from the Lord and 
walk the wrong direction. Now, this doesn't have anything to do, I don't think, with losing our salvation or any of that. It just means that it's possible even for believers to live with blindness and they become hardened in our hearts to the truth. And that's kind of scary to think about. So notice the path that he has there, the steps of progression. Begins with something sinful, subtle patterns of sin. Uh, I'm not walking with the Lord. I'm letting little things go. I'm not turning away from my sin and turning to Christ. I'm just kind of floating. And things that I know aren't right are continuing and I begin to uh, start even making excuses for them. This is where unbelief enters in. Rather than taking God at His word, I take my word. Right? I look at the things in my life and I say, well, you know what? I'm living a really good Christian life, so this one area isn't great. But pff, all the other things are doing really well. I mean, come on, there's room for, I, of course I'm not going to be perfect. Right? Or whatever, justification, right? We are self-justification geniuses, unfortunately. Um, and this is where we begin to take our word over God's word. And unbelief enters in. We back away from the clear words of Scripture. We begin to turn away. This is where we lose our moral compass. Our conscience is seared. Things that once might have been repulsive are now kind of commonplace. Uh, we've lost our spiritual moorings. And then we become hardened. And here, we're no longer tender. Somebody comes to tell us, hey... Man, I, I overheard what you said to that person. What, what was going on? That, those were some strong words. I mean, he sounded so angry and harsh. And what are you talking about? There's nothing wrong with what I said. They were in the you know, we, we get offended all of a sudden because our hearts are hard and we're not tender to the voice of our brothers and sisters in Christ helping us to see our sin. We are defensive and reactionary. Uh, sin is deceitful, and guess who it deceives first? Me. <laughs> My sin deceives me before anyone else. That ought to scare us. I mean, we trust the Lord, right? We don't need to live in fear. But my point is, we are easily deceived, easily blinded by our sin. Uh, Let's see here. Spiritually blind people are often blind to their blindness. I really liked that statement uh, in this section here. Spiritually blind people are often blind to their blindness. People who are physically blind know they're physically blind. People who are spiritually blind are blind to their blindness. And that's what makes it so difficult. Um, the more strongly you try to convince someone that you're not blind to your sin... Uh, maybe that could just be like a, a warning flag in your life. <laughs> oh, maybe I am blind to something uh, that I need to be aware of. God's redemption, the salvation story, proves that we do need each other's help. So he mentions two qualities that are helpful. First, the courage of honesty. This is when it's time that we need to speak the truth to someone, which is scary. Uh, you've seen something in their life that just doesn't add up, right? There's a reason that God made the fruit of the Spirit um, pretty obvious and the fruit of the flesh, Galatians 5, pretty obvious, right? So you see something pretty obvious in someone's life and it comes time 
I saw it. Am I going to talk to them about it? That's a scary place to be. It takes courage, and I would even say more than courage, it takes strong love that's willing to seek to, re- to be part of God's help in this person's life. Secondly, it takes the humility of approachability. Again, if we enter that scenario with any number of wrong hats on, judge, police officer, superhero, savior, you know, whatever hat you want to wear, uh, we, we create a lot of trouble for ourselves. But if we come in with humility, the humility of approachability, so that that person who's in the wrong could even say to me, well, I've seen you do this too, that I can say, you know what, you're right. You're right. And I'd be happy to talk about that with you. In fact, let's work on it together. Would you work on it with me? Right. Where we don't have to get defensive. We don't have to, you know, because God's the Savior. I'm just a helper. Let's walk this road together. Right. Uh, so the humility of approachability. So as we prepare for the rest of the course, there are kind of three questions he raises here that will set the tone moving forward. First of all, why do people do the things they do? And uh, he says this calls for a need of biblical theology of human motivation. What drives us? What leads to our actions? What's, what comes first? What's our motivation? Secondly, how does lasting change take place in a person's life? We could call this a biblical theology of change. And number three, how can I be an instrument of change in another person? And for this, we need a biblical methodology of change. And so these three questions are questions we'll try to answer as we go through this. What causes our actions? Like, how do we work as human beings? And we'll look to the Word of God to help us with that. How do people change in general? And then further, how can I help in that process? How can I be a helper? How would God want to use me to help others? All right. Any questions so far? So here's the big question from tonight's lesson. Why do you need help? Why do I need help? What are some answers you could give based on what we looked at tonight? Why do we need help? Okay, we suffer from blinding blindness. That's blind to the blindness of the blindness, yeah. (laughs) Good. What else? We were designed that way. We were designed to need help. Yeah, good. There's only one being in the universe who's completely self-sufficient. It's not me. What else? We're sinful. sinful. Yeah, I have a sin nature. Good. Bad, I mean, but good answer. Yeah. (laughs) I am bent toward sin. The source we can go to is God's word to help us. Yes. That's right. Yes, yes. Yep. We have a source for help, and it's not me. <laughs> it's good. 
Yep, good. Last idea is just that we are surrounded by uh, many sources of quote-unquote help, right? Like Satan in the garden. Uh, so many voices of opinions and thoughts and ideas and advice and, you know, news articles and podcasts and you name it, uh, directing your heart all sorts of directions. And so <laughs> we need help to be sure we're, we're tracking with the Word of God. All right, good. So let's do CPR here at the end. This is where we uh, take the concepts we learned at the beginning and now get a little more specific with them. Okay, so first, to be human is to need help outside of myself. And this was true pre-fall. Number, tr number two, influence from others always carries a moral agenda. It's either moving me toward God or it's moving me away from God. There's nothing, nothing neutral. Number three, everyone suffers from some degree of spiritual blindness, which means we need God's truth to give clarity and we need God's people to help us see our sin. One of the things I love about the Matthew 7 illustration, the log in my eye and the speck in my neighbor's eye, is that it, it, it gives us really good proof that we see other people's sin better than we see our own, right? I can see the speck all the way over there in my neighbor's eye, but I have no idea there's this massive log in my own eye, right? And so, again, if somebody else's speck seems really big to you, just pause for a moment and reflect, okay, let's take the principle of Matthew 7. How big does that mean the log is in my eye right now, right? If that speck looks huge, I've got something bigger in my own eye that I need to deal with first. And a really good reminder, we all suffer from spiritual blindness. Uh, as we think about personalizing this, a few things here. First of all, we need to receive truth outside of ourselves to make sense out of life. We need God's truth. So we can't just think that, I'll just figure it out, right? It's my, my own thoughts about the world are not enough. I need God's thoughts. I need His Word. I need His truth. And that's compelling. I need to be getting in the Word on a daily basis because I will be blind to how I am drifting away from the truth. I just won't see it. Number two, I need to humbly examine why I do and say the things I do. Looking at our own hearts with humility. And number three, get all those up there. I need to recognize sin's deceitfulness and commit myself to being approachable. I like the word approachable. It's more than just humble. Humility is the, the virtue behind approachability. But approachability is a way of carrying yourself so that people around you would feel comfortable coming to you about something. It's actually a really great question to ask your friends, people that know you well, hey, am I approachable? Because do you feel comfortable pointing sin out in my life if there was something that you saw? And uh, see if they'll give you feedback on that. Developing that character trait, that virtue, is, uh, is really, really important. Uh, because some of us, without realizing it, uh, just put out this message that we can't be corrected, we can't be uh, resisted, you know, and people are afraid to tell us the truth, uh, which is a pretty scary place for us to be, because then we don't know what we're blind to. Relating to others... 
First of all, we need to learn how to be one of God's instruments of change in the lives of others. Uh, And that's what hopefully the rest of this course will help us to do. Number two, we need to saturate ourselves with Scripture so that our interpretations, the lens through which we view the world, uh, and the counsel to others will be based on God's Word. So if I'm going to give advice and counsel to someone that's going to move them toward God, my heart and mind and life needs to be saturated with Scripture. And uh, yeah, that's compelling. And number three, I need to recognize how I'm influencing others in the relationships and situations of my daily life. Am I a person that's encouraging people towards Christ? Or is my influence, well, maybe I would say it's neutral, but is it actually moving them away from Christ as opposed to moving them towards Christ? All right. That's all we'll cover in lesson one. Uh, At the end of your lesson there, both on the printed notes as well as in your book, you have a section called Make It Real. And uh, I just encourage you, find some time before next week to jot down some answers to those questions. They will help us as we open our lesson. And uh, there won't be any quiz or anything like that, but uh, a little bit of discussion as we get going next week, Lord willing. Next week, we'll begin talking about the heart. Any final questions before we go to our time of prayer? All right, if you missed the beginning, I'll say it one more time. Uh, There are books available, and so two more books, uh, so please help yourself. I'm not sure where the sign-up sheet ended up. Uh, It's up here. So if you would like a book, if we run out and you would like a book, you can mark that on here. We'll order some more. Um, and yeah, I think that's everything. So thank you for being here tonight. And uh, go to prayer, find some people to pray with. And when you're done, uh, we're dismissed. So thank you.